While I was on sabbatical, I began to uh, grapple with something that was going on, that had been going on inside of me, something I'd been wrestling with, something that had been troubling me for a while. Um, And um, it wasn't a sin, um, although there are always sins that that have to be addressed and dealt with. Um, But it was, um, I'm going to use a word for it, and and, and it's something that that may not be completely understood, so I'm going to give a little introduction by what I'm talking about, um, and, then, and then take a look at 1 Samuel. Um, the, the, the thing that I, that, I, that I found inside myself, the thing that I was being afflicted by, I'm going to use the word shame. Shame. Since I got back from the sabbatical, quite a few of you, members of this church, have come to me and talked to me or emailed me about this same topic. Um, and it's something that um, has really kept it before my, I mean, it was, I was really sort of immersed in it during the sabbatical, but since I came back, I've been thinking about it. Several of you have given me things to read about it, and several of you have uh, told me you want to talk to me about it further, and we are going to continue to talk about it. But I've realized uh, through all of this that it's, it's a very important topic, and I wasn't originally intending to speak on it this week. I was just studying First Samuel and thinking about teaching from First Samuel and it became um, evident to me that this was something I needed to talk about. Now, there's a good kind of shame and a bad kind of shame, and I don't have, to, I don't have time to get into that too much, but I want to make sure you understand. When I say shame, some of you may be thinking of the good kind of shame. What, what I mean by that is uh, a shame that leads you to repentance, a shame that you see your sin, you see a sin, a real sin, and you repent of it, and you're forgiven, and you go to the person that you hurt, and you're reconciled. And that's, that's shame. That's a, that's a kind of shame and a, uh, that, that is good, and, and it's, it's, it's coming from you. It's a response to your sin, and, it, and you're responding properly, and you're receiving the gospel and receiving all of that. Um, and so it's a good thing. It's a good process that goes through. But what I've been experiencing and what many of you have testified to experiencing in your past and in your present as well is a kind of shame that is not because of sin. It's not because of sin in your life. It's because of uh, various things in your past and things that you've been through in the past. Um, And it's a feeling of um, there's something deficient about me, sort of an underlying feeling of there's something wrong with me, there's something deficient about me. And once again, it's not a sin. It's not you saying there's this sin or that sin that I've committed. It's some, but it's, it's, a, it's sort of a general feeling of deficiency. I'm a failure uh, in this way, or I'm a failure in this way, or I'm incompetent in this way or this way. It's a real sort of beating yourself up. It's a real kind of, the way you feel it, the way you experience it is, is, a, is, a, is a vicious self-criticism, a sort of vicious self-criticism um, that, you, that you turn on yourself and you're feeling, and it turns into sadness and uh, anger, maybe, and all sorts of other things as well. I'm weak. I'm not, I, I don't have what it takes. I'm a fraud. I'm, you know, all these kinds of things. And, the, and you may say, how can my pastor experience this? I don't know, but I do, and it's the reality, and it's the truth, and I experience it quite a bit. Um, now, most of my shame, um, I do have, like I said, I do have shame that comes from sin, and, 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 I, and that's, but that's not what I'm talking about now. I'm talking about shame that comes from um, failures. Feeling like I've failed in my pastorate or my ministry. 
shame, feeling like I failed in my marriage in certain ways, feeling like I failed in my parenting in certain ways, feeling like I failed in any teaching that I do in the past, um, in friendships, in family. It just piles up. Just, and, and some of it comes from those failures and, and, and experiencing those failures, and some of it comes from criticism, criticisms that people have brought to me, people have come to me and criticized me about certain things, and I hold on to that. You know, I'll, sometimes I'll, I'll remember a criticism for 10 years. You know, it's still there. I'm still feeling it. And when, I, when that moment comes where I start to feel shame, that criticism becomes red hot again, and it's just burning me still. Um, and, uh, and, it's, and it's hurting me. Many of you, I'm guessing, in this room suffer shame, and I would argue that many of you suffer who don't even know, feel like you don't even know what I'm talking about right now because you're, you're not, you, you haven't identified it yet a feeling of inadequacy, a feeling of uh, incompleteness, of I'm not what I need to be, I'm not, um, I'm, you know, I'm a failure, I've, I've failed here and I've failed here, sort of a general criticism of yourself. And you, would, you might label it humility or you might label it um, honesty, but there's a lot of emotional weight to it that your attitude towards yourself is not really a healthy, good pure, biblical attitude towards yourself and what you should feel about yourself and think about yourself. And so some of, some of you, this could come from what I, what I was just recall, talking about myself, your failures in the past, failures in marriage, failures um, in, um, uh, maybe this, it's the state of your marriage right now. Maybe it's um, a failure in work. Maybe it's a failure uh, in, in some other aspect of your life. But it could come from other things too. Things that are making you feel unworthy, defective, incompetent, unlikable, uh, humiliated, disgraced, etc. It, it could come from anger that you've experienced, people in your past that have been really, really angry at you, and you've just taken that in, and you're still holding on to their rage. It, it turns, has turned into your shame, into your criticism of yourself. Um, it could be that you were rejected by people in your life, maybe people who should have taken care of you, who should have loved you, and they rejected you. Maybe people who should have been your biggest supporters demeaned you uh, and ridiculed you, and uh, you're still holding on to that ridicule and that, and that in your life. And for some of you, it may be from abuse that you suffered in the past. It may be from physical abuse. It may be from sexual abuse. It might be from verbal abuse or even emotional abuse. Um, and for some of us, some of you have testified to this to me, it may be from legalistic Bible teaching. It may be from Bible teaching that you received that was very, very legalistic and, simp and told you all these things that you had to do uh, in order to be right with God or told you all these things that weren't even sins and judged you for them and criticized you and made you feel bad about yourself for things that weren't even sin. Um, and, and, you, and you held that in and you, and you, and you held on to that. Well, why am I talking about this, and what does this have to do with Hannah? Because let's read the story of Hannah, and I think you're going to see that Hannah is a woman in turmoil, and she, one way to label the, the primary thing that's going through with her is shame. She's suffering from, from shame, not because she sinned. She hasn't sinned, but she's still feeling this, this great turmoil, this great anguish, this great shame um, about what she's going through. So let's, let's look at this story of Hannah. And, and read it together. There was a certain man from Ramathim, a Zophite, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, 
the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zulf, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah, and Hannah is the saint, the hero in the story, the one that we're focusing in on in this account. One was called Hannah, and the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh. This is where the tabernacle was at this time. The tabernacle at this point in history was in Shiloh. Where, uh, and in Shiloh, Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give, and by the way, this is the kind of sacrifice where you Uh, There's a kind of sacrifice where the animal gets entirely burnt up, but there's another kind of sacrifice where the meat is divided and some is burned up, some is given to the priests, and some you eat. Your family eats it as part of your celebration. So that's what's being described here. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Peninnah, and to all her sons and daughters. Listen to that. She has all these sons and daughters. She has all sorts of kids. But to Hannah... He gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival, and the rival there is Peninnah, the other wife, um, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. And this went on year after year. So what what was just being described, all that, that just kept going on year after year after a year, they would go up, they would celebrate, um, and Penina would mock her, Penina would uh, rib her, Penina would you know, say things to be critical of her, and she would end up weeping and, and crying uh, and being downhearted about this. Um, and this just went on year after year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. And then we, we get this, that this happened. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Let's stop there for a minute. So Hannah is this woman who is um, greatly suffering, and she hasn't sinned, but she's feeling this terrible shame. And of course, in, in, in their culture, um, her being unable to conceive a child, um, she, uh, you know, the community would be uh, thinking less of her because of this. Penina was mocking her for this. Her husband was trying to be kind to her, although I would argue his kindness was not uh, that great, really. I mean, he tried, but he was sort of a loser in this. Um, but, he, but he tried to do something. Um, Penina was mocking her, and... Um, the community would have thought less of her because she had not been able to conceive a child. Now, something you have to understand is, at this time, it was not common for ordinary people. Kings, yes. Powerful people, yes. They would, they would have multiple wives. But we think, oh, everybody in the Bible had multiple wives in Bible times. That's just not true. Most people did not. Most people didn't have enough resources and money to have multiple wives. The reason you would have a second wife is because the first wife didn't cut it. The first wife 
did not have babies. And that's exactly what's happened here. He married Hannah, who he loved. He expected to have babies with her. She wasn't able to have babies, so he, he picks up Peninnah to take care of that problem. So Peninnah is the second wife. Hannah's mentioned first. Peninnah's the second wife. He's picked her up. He's, he, he's married her uh, in order to have children. And how do you think uh, uh, Hannah, Hannah experienced uh, such a situation? It's bad enough for you to have married another wife, but you've married another wife because of my failure, because I was not able to do what I wanted to do, what I, what I, what I had hoped to do. Uh, I'm not, I have not been able to be a successful wife. I have not been even able, been able to be a mother, which is what I wanted, which is what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a good wife. I wanted to be a good mother. I wanted to be part of the community, a respected and honored part of the community, and yet I have not been able to do that. Um, um, no doubt she felt terrible rejection by her husband marrying. Again, she was not enough for her husband. She was not what her husband needed. He needed, um, he needed more. And so he, you know, he gives her the double portion to try to honor her. Um, to show his love to her, which was good. That was, a, that, was a, that was a kind thing to do. But the gift, that, but such a gift is not enough. In fact, she's not really even able to eat, it seems like, at these celebrations because of her great sorrow. Uh, she's, she can't even really eat it, and she doesn't, um, it's, it's not enough to ease her, her terrible pain. She's still in anguish. And then her husband goes to her and tries to give her a pep talk. Did you catch, did you catch his pep talk? Cheer up, honey. Don't be sad. After all, you have me. Let's respect him for his efforts. Let's respect him for his trying to help his wife, trying to be kind. But that ain't going to cut it, right, with the problem that she's facing and the shame that she's feeling. It will help somewhat. It will help somewhat that, he, that, he's, that she, he's, not, he, he's not turning away from her and rejecting her. He's trying to show love to her. But here he's almost, it's almost like he's rebuking her for her great anguish and pain. Stop crying. You know, stop, stop crying all the time. Stop showing us, stop, stop being so emotional and uh, cheer up and, uh, and eat something and don't act like this um, instead of uh, understanding her pain and trying to recognize it and acknowledge it and talk to her about it. This is what he does. And honestly, um, she very likely... And I think this is what we see in this text when we go further in this. She very likely at this point was feeling that there was something wrong with her to an extent that God himself had turned away from her. That the, this barrenness had to be a sign of something that was, that was wrong with her in the sense so deep that there was something wrong between her and God. It, you know, the, the text says Yahweh had closed her womb and she would have acknowledged that, that Yahweh had closed her womb. Um, and... She, uh, she felt that, you know, she, she most likely felt that her womb was closed because of something wrong with her, that God was passing over her, that God um, had, some, had a problem with her and would not bless her in this way. Um, this thing that she had hoped to do with her life, this thing, this way that she'd hoped to be a part of the community and find her place and have honor in the community and have a place of respect. Instead, she wasn't able to do that and that and that God, herself, God himself may have been the reason why she wasn't able to. So let's read on the story. What, uh, I hope that you, at this point, can... Uh, I know this is a familiar story with, for many of you, but I hope that you can um, feel this, the weight of this. And isn't it beautiful? I love the fact, of course, of course, this is Samuel's mother, so this is going to be... Uh, th this woman is, is tied to Samuel, but isn't it wonderful that God gives us this account 
of sometimes of, of ordinary folk, not just the great prophets and the great kings, but of ordinary people, men and women, um, who, um, and, and what, their, what their faith was like and what their struggles were like. Look at verse 9. Once, so this happened, all this, all this other stuff had been repeated over and over and over again. Not only did this happen once, this happened every year, again and again and again. Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple, and, and the word temple there means tabernacle. There was no building structure at this point. It's the tabernacle. In bitterness of soul, in bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and she prayed to the Lord and prayed to Yahweh. And she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. So she is uh, making this vow that if you will uh, give me a son, I will, give him to the, I will give him to you. I will give him to the Lord. Um, by the way, this, this sounds like the Nazarite vow. You, I don't know if everyone's familiar with the Nazarite vow, but the Nazarite vow was a temporary thing, um, typically. Um, and it was more than just the razor. So this might be the Nazarite vow, but, but for life, or it may just be another kind of promise that, uh, that Hannah is making about, um, making about uh, her son, that she's going to... De- the, the symbol of, the sign of her, his dedication will be that he never shaves his hair, that he will have this, this hair always growing, long hair for the rest of his life. Um, sounds like Samson, right? This is similar to Samson's case. Um, so she makes this promise. So here's what I want you to see in this. She takes her shame to God. She takes her shame to God. Though she may be feeling estranged from God, feeling like God is distant, feeling like God is so far away from her that God must have something against her. The community certainly does. Penina never stops mocking her, ridiculing her, criticizing her. Um, her husband wants, her, wants this to be over now. This has gone off for many years, Hannah. Can you stop already? Can you stop with the tears? Can you stop with all the, the sorrow all the time? Can we, can we move on? Can we do something else with our lives? Um, and so she, he's not very sympathetic uh, to her. And so what does she do? She takes her shame. She takes her shame to God. She takes her sorrow and her anguish to God. Um, and she wants a baby, yes, but I want you to notice something here. She wants a baby. That's what, that's what she's wanting. Um, but what does the baby mean? You've got to understand, it's not just, uh, it's not just um, I, wanna, I want to have a baby. That, that, it's, not, it's not that simple. It's much, there's much more weight to it than that. She wants this is what she feels like she was born to do. She feels like this is what she wanted to do with her life. This is how she was going to serve God. This is how she was going to be part of the community. Um, she wants to be, uh, and she feels like she's alienated from God, so she wants, she wants to speak to God, and she wants, to, she wants God to hear her, and she wants to know that God is with her, and she wants to know that God blesses her and that God accepts her, and that she is part of the community. She wants to know that God honors her, um, and a baby would be the sign. She wants the baby, of course, but that the baby is, 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 has a lot more weight to it. The baby means God's acceptance, God's love of her, that God really is with her, that God cares for her. 
Um, and this is, and, and that she is, that she has a great place uh, in, in God's community. And he, she's not an outcast. She's not a, on, the, on, the, on the border of Israel, uh, marginalized, not really an important part. But she is part of Israel. She is part of God's people. She has an important part to play. Um, and God loves her and God accepts her. Um, and I used to think that when I would read this story when I was a kid and when I was younger, I used to think, well, what, she wants a baby so bad. This woman wants a baby so bad that she's willing to have the baby only for a short time. You know, that, that was like a, well, maybe I can get God to give me a baby if I, if I agree to not keep the baby very long. You know, like, I, I want the baby, but I want the baby, but um, if I, maybe I can get it if I'll just keep the baby. For, you know, if she kept the baby, as, we're gonna, as, we, as later in the story it says, as long as she was nursing. That could be three years, maybe three years tops. Um, uh, but she, uh, th- th- and that was what she was doing. She was sort of thinking, she was sort of bartering with God, like, okay, I want a baby, but I promise, but I only keep that baby for a little while. So can, can, well, can we work that deal? Can we make that deal? But I think, it, I don't think that's what's going on. I think she wants a son for God. She wants her place with God. She wants to give to God. She wants to have an honorable place and serve God and have a baby that she can dedicate to God. It's not as much. Notice that the, the, the husband, Elkanah, should be thinking, wanting an heir, wanting, a, wanting a, 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 um, a son to be in his family and to do his stuff and to take up for him and all that. But she, but she, uh, she wants a son for God. Um, to give to God, to do something to God, to have her place, to have her value, to have her, to be lifted up out of her shame. And we're not going to read the whole song. I'm going to read one verse from the song in a minute. But in the song, you see this, how she envisions what's happened to her when she receives the child as her being lifted up from shame to honor, her being lifted out of her shame and her disgrace into this honorable place. And she wants to be someone who gives a child that serves God all his life. And little did she know that it would be this great Samuel who would lead Israel for years and years and years. Look at verse 12. Look at verse 12. As she kept on praying to the Lord. So remember, Eli's sitting there in his chair. By the way, his chair is like uh, his bishop's chair. It's like his, it's his chair of authority. That's why he's sitting in a chair. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. And Hannah was praying in her heart. And her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk. And he said to her, How long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. So another man does a real great job here with with Hannah. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. I love that line. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. She was pouring out her soul to the Lord. And I want to I ask you and get you to think about this. Is, is this, do you do this? When you, have this, when you have this shame, when you have this anguish and grief, when, you have these, when your soul is troubled and filled with emotion, do you, are you scared of your emotions and you push them away and you hide your emotions 
and, and, and say, no, 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 I, that, that's, that's not proper before God. That's not, that's not Christian. Christians aren't emotional people. They, they control their emotions. Do you push your emotions away? Or do you, like Hannah, take it to God? Or like any of the psalmists, do you take it to God and pour out your soul to God and say, Lord, this is my trouble. This is my pain. This is my shame. This is my anguish. This is what is wrong with me. This is what I am suffering. This is what I'm going through, Lord. And I'm going to lay it out before you. This is my complaint. But not, not in the sense of, of rejecting God, or, but in the sense of this is what I'm suffering. This is what I'm, what I'm going through. She takes it, despite maybe her fears about how God, she will be received by God, she takes it to God and she pours out her soul. How often do you and I pour out our souls to God and, and, and in the darkness of the night and when we wake up in the middle of the night uh, when, you, when, you, when, you're, when you hit that moment when you are just overwhelmed by your, your emotions and trouble, do you just push that away? Do you, do you man up or do, you do, or do you pour out your soul to the Lord? Yahweh, the one who listens, the one who hears, the one who responds um, to, to his people. Um, pour out your soul to the Lord. Don't, don't hide your feelings, but take them to God as, as Hannah did. She gives us a wonderful example of the way that, that we should do this, as do all the psalmists and, and so many of the writers in the Bible. Look at verse 17. So Eli, the priest, has heard this now. He accused her of being drunk, but now he gets it. He sees, oh, I, I see what's going on. And he says to her, as this representative of God, remember, he is this priest. He is a judge of Israel. He's a priest. He is the representative of God. And he gives this sort of prophetic word to her, the word of the Lord he gives to her here. He's speaking on the Lord's behalf. Um, and he answers her and says, go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. And she said, may your servant Find favor in your eyes. And this is what I want you to hear. And then she went her way, and she ate something. And her face was no longer downcast. Is she pregnant already? No. Does she have the baby boy in hand already? No. But she's heard something there from Eli. She's heard something that has let her know that God is with her, that God loves her, that God has heard her prayer and that God will respond to the prayer. And she has received a promise, not a promise that, that any of us have received, but a personal promise to her. But yet, and yet it was the word of the Lord uh, to her. Um, and she realized in that promise that God did see her, that God did hear her, that God did honor her, that God honored her, that she had honor before God that she was not humiliated before him and shamed before him. God gave her glory as a woman of his people. God listened to her. God blessed her. God, his attitude toward her is acceptance and delight. She is valuable to him. She is worthy. All that she's getting from this. Um, it's not just, oh, good, I'm going to have a baby. It's my life has completely changed. Everything has changed. I'm moving in a totally new direction. I now recognize that God hears my prayer, that God is with me, and he has spoken to me, recognized me, made a promise to me. I am accepted. I am worthy. I am honored. I am, I am one of God's people. I am one of the saints. I am uh, God's servant. 
Um, she experienced all this in God's word to her, this promise through Eli, his priest. And later in her song, I'm only going to read one verse of her song. I'm going to read verse 8, chapter 2, verse 8. I'm going to read this. And this is metaphor, but I want you to hear in this metaphor the essence of what Hannah was feeling when this happened. Listen to what Hannah was feeling when she heard this. And why, why was her face lifted up? Well, chapter 2, verse 8 gives us a metaphor for that. He raises the Lord, raises the poor, and that doesn't just mean materially poor. It means those who are lowly, those who are downtrodden, those who are shamed, those who are more marginalized. He raises the poor from the dust, and he lifts the needy from the ash heap, the place of despair, the place of shame. And listen to what he does. And he seats them with princes, and he has them inherit a throne of honor. Do you realize that was, that's what was happening to Hannah? That's what was going on inside of her when this God spoke to her through Eli, and she got this word of promise that she was being given a throne of honor, that she was being lifted up among the princes of God's people, that, she was be, that God was honoring her, that God saw her, that God accepted her. And so I want, to, I want to conclude this with this. Christian, to the Christians here today, in Jesus Christ, the same has been said to you. God has the same attitude toward you he had toward Hannah. The gospel says that in Jesus Christ alone, you are honored. You, are, you have glory. Do you understand that? The bot that uses those words, honor and glory, in Jesus Christ, you have glory. In Jesus Christ, you are honored. You are exalted. You are lifted up from your humble place. And you're honored by God. And you're given a high place among the princes of his people and the princesses of his people. You are given great honor, great glory by God. You are lifted up by God. You are seated with his saints. You are seated with Jesus Christ, right? In the heavenlies. You are part of his people. And if you don't believe yet, if you're not, if you're not a believer, you haven't yet um, repented and believed in Jesus Christ, this is what you find in Christ. In Jesus Christ, you find a new honor and a new position and a new identity as a child of God that you cannot find out there in the world and your accomplishments and trying to do this job well enough and trying to do this marriage well enough and trying to raise these kids well enough and be good at this and be good at that and excel here and excel here. No, 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 no. We're just mediocre at all those things and that's not a problem because we're honored by God. We're honored by God and we're lifted up and that's what matters what God has done for you, where he has placed you, by the grace of God and by the blood of Jesus Christ. By the, you have the Holy Spirit within you. Do you know what that means for a human? You are a temple of the Lord Jesus. You are a temple of God. What an honor. What a, this is what, 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 what God thought of Hannah is what he thinks of you. You've been honored in the same way. And, and so what I want to say about that is your feelings of shame, and this is what I have to keep coming back and telling myself, your feelings of shame about yourself are not the truth. Right? What you feel about yourself is not the truth. And all the people who have harmed you and all the people who have sinned against you, and by the way, we always talk about our sin, but we're much more sinned against than sinning, right? We all have sinned, 
But we've also encountered a lot of people in our lives who have sinned against us as well. And all the the harm that you've undergone and all the people who've criticized you, hurt you, rejected you, and, and, and made you feel less and less and less and less, none of them were speaking the truth to you. None of them were showing the truth about you. The truth is in Jesus Christ. The truth is in what Christ has done for you and how you have been exalted in Jesus Christ. That's the truth about you. If you're believing in Christ uh, to be forgiven of your sins, your sins are forgiven and your shame, which some of it comes from your sin and some of it comes from nothing that's your fault at all about who you are, um, is not the truth about you. What is the truth? The gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the truth. So believe his word. In Jesus Christ, God honors you. He lifts you up. He gives you glory. He gave you a place in his house, a place at his table. As an honored guest at at the table of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, lift up your face. Lift up your heart. And if you can't today, if you honestly can't lift up your face today, take that anguish, take that pain, and pour out your soul to the Lord. Pour out your soul to the Lord. Maybe you can't lift up your face. Maybe this gospel message is, is not enough right now for you. You're still, you, you, you are struggling. Pour out your soul to the Lord and ask, and ask him to, to preach the gospel to you and to encourage you in what Christ has done for us. Let's finish the story, okay? Let's finish the, I'm going to conclude the sermon with the end of the story. Verse 19. Early the next morning they arose and they worshiped before the Lord and they went back to their home at Ramah. And Elkanah lay with Hannah, his wife, and Yahweh remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and she gave birth to a son and she named him Samuel, saying, because I asked Yahweh for him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.